Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gary Alton Church. My name is Tim, and glad you're here with us today. Good to be together. We've been looking at the book of Acts, uh, this idea of, I'm calling it unfinished. That's why you have a picture of the earth with pieces. They're not in place yet. There's still much to do. Jesus began to do and teach uh, while he was on this earth, but he wasn't complete. Yes, he said it was finished, but that was on the cross, and that was another thing that he did there. But there was still lots to do. And so we find that he passes on his mission, so to speak, to his disciples. Look at this, uh, this passage up here up on the screen. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He says that to his disciples. My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now all he's doing is reminding them of something he had said earlier. And look at this next passage up here on the screen. I think it's in John, am I right? Yeah. In the same way, he said, he's praying this to God, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. He's talking about his disciples. And that mission was to be witnesses. That was to take the message of Christ and take, take the, what he says and does to the world. You and I are on the same mission as we read the book of Acts. You discover this. We're on the same mission that Jesus gave his disciples. We're participants. We're participants in his mission. So we're not interested, I'm not interested, and I hope you're not, in studying the book of Acts like a historian, like you're some spiritual archaeologist digging through stuff, and you're learning, well, that's the way, that, the way it was. No, Acts is really about the way it is in the kingdom, the way it is in his church, the way it should be. And so it's more, it's more about how God has left a mission, and, he's still, and this mission is still going on, and he's going to work through you and I. To fulfill his story. Yeah, we're here to make history. But it's really about his story. Um, We're a part of his grand story of things. So we're witnesses now. I don't want to sound like Goonies. But it's our time now. Our time. uh, You remember that? Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. It is. It's our time. It's our turn as, as those on this earth to take the gospel to the world. So we're witnesses, is what Jesus calls it. We're, we're people who bring information and confirmation to what Jesus is about, of who he is and what he taught and what he did. And so we're doing that uh, every day of our lives. So the, books, the book of Acts is really about helping me to better understand my idea or my job as a witness that clearly reflects Jesus Christ as I finish his work on the earth. That's a lot right there when you stop and think about it. Now the reason I say that is because it's so easy for us to get to, to, uh, to um, be limited somewhat of our understanding of the whole scope of what the book of Acts is about through uh, uh, our understanding and, and our focus on churchy things. I'm going to call it that, churchy things. What do you mean, Tim? Well, you know, you, you, somebody says, well, what's your church about? And someone says, well, we're about the Bible. Well, what church is not about the Bible? I mean, come on. But yeah, but we'll, maybe we'll say that. Maybe you'll say, somebody will say, what's your church? Oh, we're about the Bible. And it happens to be your favorite thing. And that's where I, I notice, sometimes I'll describe the church here through my favorite thing. And it, and it limits really the description of what the church is about. But we'll say things like, well, the Bible, you know, we love Scripture and we want to use the Scripture. And why do we do that? To know a lot of stuff. That's why. Well, the the Scriptures are not here for you and I to know a lot of stuff. It's really here for us to know who Jesus is. 
That's really what it's, the Old Testament points to him. And the New Testament points to him. And so it's, it's really going about Christ. There's a bigger picture. One time Jesus was talking to some Pharisees, and they, knew, they had the whole Old Testament memorized, folks. They knew the Scriptures. And he says, you diligently study the Scriptures, it says in John 5, because you believe that through them you'll have eternal life. I'm thinking, well, yeah, I think that's true. But then he goes on to say, but these Scriptures talk, are talking about me, yet you refuse to come to me. So the study of the Bible is much broader than I just want to know some stuff. Big deal, I know something about the temple. Big deal, I can name the sons of Jacob in order, which anybody that was with me when I was doing, doing uh, the kids' ministry, we could do the, and we did Battle of the Brains, and we knew all the right answers, and we would whoop the adults about every other, you know, every year. They, we'd send them away in shame, you know. But big deal, we know all this information if it isn't relevant. And see, the scriptures are, are not just about, about knowing more stuff. It's to know Jesus so you and I can be a better witness. How am I going to talk about somebody I don't know about? How am I going to quote somebody if I don't know what he says? So that's what the witness is about. The scriptures are about helping you, you know, I'd be a better witness. Ministries. Oh, we got ministries. We got a ministry for people who've lost a love. We got a ministry for people that have an addiction. We got a ministry for, we got a ministry for this, a ministry for that, money ministry. We got a prayer ministry. We got all these ministries. And maybe you describe the church that way. We got all these cool ministries. And I want to say to you this morning is a lot of times we get this idea that we're, that we got to be careful here that our ministries don't become just Places that satisfy felt needs of people. So what if somebody's sober, but they're they don't, they're not saved? We've just helped them go to hell sober. So what that you know I I finally am able to I've been hurt and I've been abused and now I'm able to to understand it and I'm able to function in life. So what you're emotionally stable you're lost. If you don't know Jesus. So the ministries are not about just, not just about meeting felt needs. It's about meeting Christ. Because that's the real answer to every problem you and I face. Not a list of, you know, do these things. Unless they're embedded in the teachings of Jesus. Why do we do it? I think Michael's kind of got a good point there he was making earlier. I'm so caught up in the Super Bowl. And maybe you're this morning, you're caught up in the Super Bowl so much you're not thinking about what I'm talking about. I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Okay. I understand. I do the same thing. I get distracted myself. I used to think, man, we just got to have all these ministries. Then we could help all these people be sober and, and sane and, and they get all kinds of help. But what are we doing about their salvation? That was the question I started. I thought, man, I got to think about that. I forget the bigger picture here because, because ministries are designed to help me meet Christ, which help me be a better witness. Well, the worship. You know, some churches have big bands and cool music and, and you know, or maybe, maybe we're a cappella and we got a worship team and we got a thump. I wouldn't want to use that mic after he used it, would you? Look at all the spit on that thing. But you know, I'm, and, and oh man, you know, we we clap and we enjoy. We can raise our hands, and I and and I want you to know, I'm all for that. I'm I love getting excited. I get juiced up during the Lord's Supper, where where you know I'm just praying, God help me understand what you've done for me. 
Instead of just going, oh yeah, there's a bread, and there's a, no, no, okay, I got it. Oh, that juice was good today, you know, and we'll pass it on. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I want to be emotionally touched. I want my heart touched this morning. And the worship does that. What beautiful music we had this morning. And I, and I say this, I'm not trying to get any points here. Alan's got a good voice, doesn't he? He just got a pleasant voice. I think of James Taylor, you know, that, just a soft, nice, good, in tune. And it encouraged me. You encouraged me, Alan. I mean, he did. And he, I know he's going through some stuff, and yet he's encouraging me this morning to think of God. And I want that. But the bigger picture isn't just, oh, good, yeah, I'm so excited, my heart's about to come out of my chest. No, it's, it's to encourage me, to encourage you to go and be a better witness. That I'm experiencing Christ, and I want someone else to experience Christ. Some people, some people will describe the church as, as their building. Well, we've got a unique building. You've got to say that, that's for sure. It's unique, all right. And there's some people, oh, we got a beautiful building, lots of glass, lots of the, it's the right temperature. I envy those people. Okay, but I, you know, I understand, you know, people we do this will say, you ought to come to our church. It's that big dome. It's one of a kind. It can take a missile. Like, that's going to bring, okay, sure. I'll, that, that was the, that's the deal maker for me. It'll take a missile and it won't come down. Yeah. Well, that's nice. So if you have somebody that says, I'm afraid to come to church because the roof will cave in, this is the place to come. I get it. But it's not, this, is not a land, this is not built to be a landmark. It's built to be used to reach people. It helps you and I, hopefully it'll help you and I, be better witnesses. I don't know, that's, that's, I, I notice. And, and then there's, this, there's the idea of, well, we have a lot of small groups, life groups, care groups, discipleship groups, small, whatever you want to call them. That's a small group of people that get together. And you know, what, are they, what are we getting together for? And here's what I'm saying, what, what Michael was saying earlier. Get so caught up in the mechanical stuff, we forget what it's really about. I get so caught up in, oh, I've got to have a group, and I want to be in a group, and I just want to, I love my friendships, I want to cut up and have fun. And, and, and it's great, it satisfies that friendship factor in my life. But is that the big picture? Is that why we're doing small groups? Aren't, isn't the purpose of small groups to get together with a, with a pool of people that know you better probably than anyone else outside your family that can help you grow and become a better witness? There's a bigger picture here. My, uh, uh, Matthew was showing me the hike last week. A bunch of guys went out hiking at Mark Twain uh, National Park in Missouri. I believe that's where they went. Is that right? And, and, they, and, they, and he's showing me all the stuff that, that they packed. And I'm seeing these pictures. I go, you carried a tent and a sleeping bag? What else did you carry? Well, I carried this little chair, a little fold-out chair. Everybody else had to sit on the ground like cavemen, but not me. I said, I had this little chair. How much does it weigh? 1.2 pounds. I go, I didn't think you'd know that. Tent weighs, and he named off the weight of the tent. He goes, you know, I need water. You don't pack a lot. Dad, you need a lot of water when you're going on a 30-mile hike. A 30 mile hike I thought you guys were going like two miles in and that's it you know 30 miles is there that much room over there to do that and like well we don't carry all the water you got to take these filters I got this filter I can suck through a straw kind of a thing right out of the creek and nothing gets to me you know and 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 I'm, I'm looking at all this and I'm thinking well you know would it be okay if I brought pork chops and a little like a like a little uh 
Weber grill. And he goes, you don't want to do that, Dad. Why not? Because, well, you know, first mile you might be fine, but at 20 miles, it's going to be like 50 pounds. Just ask, ask, your bro- ask, ask Uncle Danny. You know, he was going to take a bunch of stuff, and, and he ended up handing it out. And, and I, it was my understanding that sometimes, you know, on these hikes, guys get so, they got so much stuff, they start throwing it off. Looks like, you know, the Confederacy receding back, you know, retreating, and they're throwing their rifles and their equipment down, you know, during the Civil War. And I'm going, man, I don't understand. He goes, Dad, you've got to prepare for everything, and you don't want to take too much. And then it hit me. The Scriptures teach us that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work with the Word of God. That nothing is wasted on these little trips they're taking. They pack only what they need. And they're thoroughly equipped. You got an axe? Yes, I do. Well, that's good. There's a bigger picture. See, what are you trying to say, Tim? I'm saying that the things that we're doing here at Greater Alton, do we know the purpose? The big purpose. Why I'm going to put this 1.2 pound ministry over here and this 33 ounce ministry over here. What is, because, we're going forward. We're taking something with us, and it's a long haul. And you don't want to take a bunch of stuff that will slow us down. Do we know the purpose? And I'm here to tell you this morning, yes, we do. The Bible makes it really clear what the purpose is. It's to finish what God started, what Jesus started. It's just to finish what he started. It's all about that. And if, it's about, if, it, if, that, if it isn't about that and it becomes about something else, you're going to get lost in the churchy stuff. Now do you follow me? I mean, look at the environment of the early church. Look at this passage up here. This is Acts 2. This is what we're looking at. This is the early environment, or the environment of the early church. Look how the early church was. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It goes on, it goes on to say, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And that doesn't mean, oh, you like, you like uh, A&E as well on History Channel. That doesn't mean that. Everything, they, it, your stuff is my stuff and my stuff is your stuff. Is this communism? No. Is this socialism? No. This is Christianity. He says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They'd sell stuff on eBay to give it to somebody. Here's the money from that. You say, maybe. Okay. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were together all the time. I don't know if I could be together with some of you people around here. I can only handle about an hour and a half, and that's it, Tim. I'm ready to go home. Well, then you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. This place, they enjoyed being together. They, they, every day they were getting together. And now, does that mean all of them at one time? It means that that group... Parts of it were getting together. They were constantly in each other's lives. It says they, they, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They, weren't, they, weren't, they were getting along. And they were in each other's homes. Praising God. Look at this. They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Man, this is a, the place to go in the community. This is the place everybody's excited about. That even the community notices them. They say, hey, these are good people over there. And it says, and the Lord, and then what's the Lord do? He adds to their number daily, those being saved. They grew. It was a magnet for people. It was a magnet for people. I really, uh, you know, in our small group we have some new Christians, and I love hearing them talk about why they love this place. And sometimes, you know, guys, we... 
maybe you don't get around anybody that talks good about your church, even in your own small group. But man, I tell you, it is so cool to hear Cheryl just talk about how much she appreciates Greater Alton. And I just sit there and I go, wait, Denise, did you feel like, she goes, oh, Tim, it just fills you up when you hear new Christians talking that way. People that are excited about this place. The Lord adds to our number when we're like this. Now, the, the New American Standard says, says it like this. They were continually devoting themselves. Now, I thought about the word devoted. I thought, I thought when I think of devoted, what I think of, I think of loyalty. You know, he's a devoted family man. He's loyal. I think, I think of words like dedicated. I think of words like faithful. I also think about the words of the great theologian Olivia Newton-John. Who once said in the movie Grease, saying to John Travolta, Hopelessly devoted to you. Bad, huh? Yeah. That's why I'm not on the worship team. But you know, but, but what, a, what a way to say it. Hopelessly devoted. What's she saying? She's saying there's no one else. There's nothing else. Nothing else matters but you. I'm just, there's no hope for me. I can't help it. I am so into you. I, there's no one else matters. Nothing else matters. My life doesn't matter. Sounds like Paul. Remember when he said, I count my life worth nothing unless I finish the task. The mission. And that's what you see in these people. They've lost everything to be, and they're, why? They're devoted to, they're devoted to four goals. Four ways of, four, they dedicate themselves in four ways. Another, they, another way to say it is they gave themselves over They surrendered and gave themselves, which means they gave their time, their focus, their money, everything. They gave over to this mission. Let me ask you this morning, what are you giving yourself over to? I'm, you know, I, I, you know, Lord willing, I'll be here a long time. You know, I could die. I know that. And I know some of you here are going to, may die before me. Somebody's going to ask me or someone to do your funeral. And I just want you to think about this. When I get, or they, whoever the preacher is, Bob or Alan or Gary, any, whoever it is, get to the part where they're going to talk about what you were dedicated to, what are they going to say? What are they going to say about you? Are you going to make this? Are you going to make the guy who prepares your funeral going to make it difficult for them? Now, it's one thing to be difficult. Like that was a, you know, Vernon was a difficult funeral. Vernon's, you know, um, Larry Grove, difficult funeral for me personally. I love both those men and I'm very close to both those men. I'm not talking about that kind of difficulty. I'm talking about the kind of difficulty that says, what am I going to say about them? Because I know a lot of you really well. And the person, you don't want some stranger doing your funeral that guesses at what you were, what you did. But you know what? Sometimes people who know you best, they, they're going to have to be, are they going to have to be very diplomatic at your funeral? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
You have to be very diplomatic and maneuver around some areas because they don't know what to say when it comes to this idea of how devoted you were. He was a devoted family man. She was devoted to her work. You know, he was devoted to his hobbies. I want to say you were devoted to God. That you gave yourself to God. That you were hopelessly devoted to God. Would I be lying if I said that at your funeral today? See, these people, you know, they're so devoted to God. And you say, well, how do I know, Tim? Help me out here. Give me a little clarity. What would, I, what, what would help me understand what I'm devoted to, what I'm giving myself over to? Well, just simply ask yourself whatever's getting most of your time, most of your attention, most of your money, and most of your conversation. That's how you can answer that. As you look at this church in Acts 2... You see them giving themselves over to these four goals, these four ways of life. They devote themselves to these four areas. And because of that, they're sharing and they're, and they're giving to one another. They're serving one another. They're enjoying one another. And the community is fascinated by them. They're not referred to as that church center that's always not getting along. That, that, that'll never be on the lips of an early, uh, 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 early Roman or Jew referring to the church at Jerusalem. They're going to go, man, these people are incredible. And, and by the way, this church grew from 120 to 3,000 in one day. There are 3,000 new Christians. Does that give me a little hint as to why we ought to have new Christians around? They would really be helpful, huh? They are fired up and they're excited. How do you keep them? You devote yourself to these areas. And what's the purpose of them coming to begin with? So they can go out and be witnesses. So that's what I want to talk about with the time I've got left before we get all caught up in Peyton Manning and Cam. Okay, so nobody got that, Michael. Nobody understood that. I thought they would. Okay, Cam. Huh? They caught, oh, I'm sorry. You're really thinking about the sermon and I got stupid. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I took the edge right off of it. I'm sorry. I am sorry about that. Okay, so here we go. I'll stop doing that. Okay, I, I'll try. We, uh, I will be a great witness for Jesus, first of all, when I devote myself to learning what Jesus teaches. This is a very fundamental lesson, maybe for many of us here, but I want you that have that viewpoint to reconsider the, being devoted to these four areas, are they making you a better witness? Just think about this. Because you can't be a witness if you don't know what happened. I've been watching a lot of uh, courtroom drama. You know, TCM, Witness for the Prosecution, you know, The Verdict, all these different you know, trials. And I'm watching, they get a witness. I watch this one where the witness gets up and he starts telling them, I, did, I saw this and this and this and this. And then he gets cross-examined and he finds out he did not know what happened. My cousin Vinny, another example. Well, I guess I, they, uh, I don't know what to say. Are you telling me they're magic grits? Just choose the guy up. And I'm done with this one. He was a lousy witness because he didn't know what he was talking about. 
And if I want to be a great witness, I better know what Jesus taught. Some of you here know procedures on how to put together and take apart machinery. You, you know that manual, forwards and backwards? You ever read the machinist handbook? Anybody ever know, does anybody know what the machinist handbook is? You know how thick that thing is. That thing's about two inches thick. I read through that. Some of us here know how to program stuff on our computer, on our phones. We know law. Oh, we really know law. I got my rights. And we cite a law. We, we, know, we know procedures at work. We know the co- company handbook. But do we know what Jesus teaches? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, like the International Children's Bible, one of my favorites says, they spent their time learning the apostles' teaching. What were they doing? What, what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught. They were just repeating and passing on what Jesus said. And if I'm going to be an effective witness for Jesus, I better know what he's talking about. I better know the handbook. Look what Jesus said in in Matthew 11. Accept my teaching. He says, are you tired? Are you wore out? Life got you, just wore you out. He says, hey, come to me. Come to me, all you are weary. And heavy laden. And I'll give you some peace. I'll give you some rest. Accept my... Here's how you get the rest. Accept my teachings and learn from me. And what will you find out? I'm humble and I'm gentle. I'll know... Guys, when I, when I crave and dedicate myself... Nobody else can do this for you. Nobody else can do this for you. Only you can do this. You know that, right? You know, we, we get... Here's what's funny. We buy books and put them in the bookstore and some of you don't even consider buying them well you must have a better book or a better idea right right that's what it is you found another book no you just don't want to do that one you don't have a you don't you don't want to be told what to read or you don't you know i don't have to go through that it's too hard to read let me tell you nt Wright is marshmallows compared to jw mcgarvey if you ever read J.W. McGarvey's commentary written during the Civil War, and he had to stop writing for two years because war broke out. Crazy English. But when we say that, we say, and I, by the way, you say, well, it is hard to understand. Okay, well, I'm not saying he's real easy. I'm sure it takes some thought. But are you even putting any energy into, I want to know this book. How many of you have taken that, 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 that challenge I gave a few weeks ago to read the book of Acts? Are you taking it seriously? How am I going to know? How am I going to find rest for my life, according here to Jesus, if I don't learn his teaching and accept it? In John 6, look at, look at what he says here. He's saying to a big crowd, by the way, he's fed everybody. He's filled them. He's, he, their felt need. He's got them full in the stomach. And now he wants to fill their life with him. And he, and he says, life is spiritual. Your physical existence doesn't contribute to that life. Well, that's great to know, huh? The words that I have spoken to you are spiritual. Spiritual. They are life. And it's on the heels of that. He says, my words matter. They're eternal. Jesus said somewhere in three Gospels, he said it in three different Gospels, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will always be. They're eternal. 
You know, there's words that I benefit from on this earth, and they're earthly words, but the only words that can help you eternally and to find life as it truly is are the words of Jesus Christ. And shortly after this statement, the crowd begins to thin. You remember? They start to leave. Nah, I don't want that. I like it, you know, I like being sober, but don't tell me to be saved. Don't tell me I need Jesus here. And so what happens? Jesus looks at the disciples and sees the twelve and says, Are you guys going to leave too? And what's Peter say? He says, Where else can we go? You have the words of life. There's no one else. There's no place on earth except right here in front of you. You have the words of life. I love Psalms 119. Look what David says. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. He goes, I love them more than gold-plated stuff or a little bit of gold, but even the purest gold. What's he saying? I've lost, I've lost my, my focus on money because I'm hopelessly devoted to your words. Your words is what I want. And I love them. I love them. And see, guys, if I'm going to be a powerful witness for Jesus Christ, I must love the words of Jesus, Jesus enough to read them, to meditate on them, to memorize them, and to live them out. So when they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to be devoted to what the Bible says so we won't err in doctrine, although that's, that could be true. It was really about, we're going to use this information to go transform lives. Number two. Number two, I can be a great witness when I devote myself to God's family. Notice again, each one of these are decisions you must make this morning. I know what I'm deciding. I'm devoting myself to these things. The question is, will you devote yourselves to these things? Because they'll make you have your witness and you'll be able to finish the unfinished work ahead of you. They asked uh, Tim Keller one time, he's a Christian author, and he's written many books, one of them called A Reason for God. Maybe some of you have read that book. He's, uh, his recent book is on prayer. They asked him one time, what's the greatest threat facing churches today? And he said, individualism. Individualism. He's, he, he goes on to say, our society, as a society, we embrace this idea of Individualism. We even celebrate it. We admire it. And we, we encourage, our society encourages people to pursue it. Guys, more and more people are isolating themselves from people than ever before. I remember Mike giving me a stat one years ago. The average American has point three friendships. Point three? Is that even possible? How many friends you got? Oh, I've got 33% of one. <laughs> Good luck with the other two-thirds, I guess. What? Think I, that tells you how shallow our relationships are. We're so afraid to, to open up and be real about things. And I, yeah, yeah. The, the, number one, the number one word just a couple years ago was selfie. We are in a society that encourages people, that encourages personal achievement at the expense of our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, 
our families. And when you read a passage like this, God is the opposite. Totally opposite. He's saying, you know, what you need to do is pursue community, pursue connection at the expense of all your aloneness. All these things, that accolades and things you're trying to achieve. I remember Rick Warren years ago saying, when you're dying on your deathbed, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, by the way, before I die, bring all the money that I've made. I want to see it one last time. Or bring all the trophies or all the, bring all those awards. You're not going to give a flip about that, are you? You know what you're going to call in? All the people. All the people. Your relationships. And see, God's the opposite. He's saying, if you're going to spend, if you're going to sacrifice something, sacrifice all that other stuff so you can have connection. And that's why He gives you and I the church. That's why it's here. He, He made you and I to have relationships. Think about this. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was walking around and looking around for a mate, what's God say? Oh, this is good. This is great. I'm glad he's lonely. No, he goes, this is not good. I didn't make you to be alone. And so he made a wife. So it's about marriage. It's more than marriage. It's about relationships. Two are better than one. We are better together. And yes, it hurts sometimes when we're together, but you're still better. You're still better. It says here, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, like, again, here's the contemporary English version says, they were like family to each other. They were like family. They gave themselves over to relationships. Not just a relationship with Jesus. How in the world did we ever get this idea? I can have a relationship with God and the heck with everybody else. That's impossible. It can't, you can't do that. In fact, how you're connecting here tells you how really, according to Jesus, how much you're connecting with Him. Because he was, he was connected to people. How can I follow someone that's, that was a people person that was there to reach people and I'm going to isolate myself? It doesn't make any sense. And see, when you read the book of Acts, you see this family atmosphere. Look at this with me in Acts 2, 44 46. All believers kept meeting together. They shared everything with each other. From time to time, they sold their property and other possessions and distributed the money to anyone who needed it. The believers had a single purpose and went to the temple every day. They were joyful and humbled as they ate at each other's homes and shared their food. You don't see an I or a me in any of this. They're sharing everything. I think, how many references are there? Is there six in three verses? Six or seven references there. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six different references. And they're all plural. They, their, believers. They're tight. They're constantly together. They're in it together. Years ago, Jack Exum, he was a minister that came here to to speak years ago. This is back in the old days when we met at the Cane's Waterbed building, way down there, you know, in East Alton. And I remember him talking about he was studying with a couple, 
and, and showing them what to do to be saved and persuading them to follow Christ. And there was another minister in town doing the same thing. So this couple was getting with two different ministers from two different churches. Well, the couple's confused. They don't know what to do. They like both of them. They like what they're both saying. So finally they said, well, I'll tell you about this. You know, could you come next week and both of you just come together and explain what you believe the church is? And Jack is like, this is great. I know exactly what to do. So he does his research. He gets all of his charts together. He's all ready to go. And they come to the living room. The couple's sitting there. And you can go first, Jack. Thank you. He goes, man, this is great. He's got every scripture he could find on the, on the church. And he starts writing out. He says, Jesus is the head of the church. And then under there, he has elders and deacons. And they have members. And they meet to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And he gives scripture for that. And he, he shows church history. And he just really got it all mapped out. This is what the church is. And he sits down going, try to top that, buddy. And the guy gets up and goes... Well, can we look at Acts 2? And he turns to Acts 2 and he goes, What I see here in verses 42 through 47, I notice they just love God's Word. And that's what we try to do. We try to love God's Word. We just think God's Word's the best in the world. No other words matter. And, well, we, we're together all the time. We pray together, we cry together, we laugh together, we do things together, we go through crap together, we, we, we rejoice together, we just love each other. And Jack Exum stood before us and I remember him saying, I knew right then and there I had lost this couple. I, here I was into the structure. Here's what we do, here's what we are. And he's showing the heart, the heart of the church. It's community. You see, what he, this guy is showing, and what the Scriptures is teaching here is, the church appeals to the greatest need you and I have, and that's the need to be loved. And I've, I'll tell you what, guys. We've had better days where we were more connected. I think more of us are connected. I'm not denying that. Many of you, are, you've gotten connected. You've taken it upon yourself. You've devoted yourself to be connected. You're not waiting for people to call you. You're not waiting for people to make a fuss over you. You're going to get in there. You know it's your responsibility. And I would say to the rest of us here who are going to go home and watch Super Bowl by ourselves or just with our immediate, cubic, whatever you call it, nuclear family, I want to say to you is that why won't you connect with the rest of this church? And then to say, you know, I only have one or two friends. Well, whose fault is that? Well, this church isn't very loving. Well, you might be sharing part of the responsibility is all I'm saying. These guys were together. They, 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 they devoted themselves to, to this to church and they, they, they cried together. They, they, everything was they did together. You know, Jesus said these words in John 13. And he says these words on the heels of telling his disciples, I'm about to leave. But I want to leave you with something when I go. And look what he says. He, le- he leaves them with two things. The Holy Spirit and each other. A new commitment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know. Whoa. They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. By this everyone will know. That sounds like a witness. That sounds like a witness thing here. Everybody's going to know that you follow me. Would everybody know 
Jesus if we loved one another like that? Sure. Sure. And I, 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 wanna, I just want to say to you this morning, you know, what are you giving yourself over to? See, community makes me a better witness. I need that small group to challenge me or to go, wait a minute, or it's okay, you're going to be all right. I need that time for feedback and counsel and connection. I need that time where, hey, could you go with me to the hospital because I'm afraid to, to go by myself. There's just something about that. Now, you don't have to know everybody here, but everybody needs to know somebody here. Just ask yourself again, how devoted are you to connecting? Because it has a big impact on your witness, on getting the job done. Number three, I become a, a, a great witness for Jesus when I devote myself to accepting God's love. When I just just focus on and give myself and let God and, and let God love me. He died on a cross. I, 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 I'm doing this because that's what Battle of the Brains is about. I don't forget. We all line up and go, who died on the cross? Bam! The kid, the three-year-old goes, Jesus died on the cross. That's the right answer. Does he understand what he just said? Probably not. He probably doesn't understand that. But how often when we get older, Jesus died on the cross. I know that. But do I really understand it? Do I really get it? That's what I was doing over here, sitting down going, do I get it? It says, all the believers that devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Why? Why did they, why is that so important? Why did they devote themselves to the Lord's Supper? I think it, it's because my idea of what Jesus did for me is connected to what I do for Jesus. My idea of what Jesus did for me is going to have an impact on what I do for Jesus Christ. And so there's this... And guys, I, I, I want to tell you, I, I know that what Jesus said is amazing. His words are amazing. Come out, Lazarus. I'm glad he singled out Lazarus. You know, I've heard a preacher say, if he said, come out of the grave, everybody would have come out. Oh, no, 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 not you guys. Oh, really? Okay, we'll go back. <laughs> okay, I get it. You know, just Lazarus. I'm, powerful words. Powerful words. But I've got to be honest with you. I don't think about what Jesus said so much as what he did. Don't you think about what he did? Don't you think about how he treated people? How he reached out to people? How he sacrificed for people. And then you start thinking, all those people, look what he did for them. And then it hits you. And what he's done for me. What he's done for you. He did powerful things. The Apostle Paul said it like this. This is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. He just lays it out there. He came to save sinners. And then he thinks a minute. And I'm the worst. And then he starts thinking... The connection now between what Jesus has done and his witness. Look how he brings it around to how he can be used. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience. Is another word for love patience? First Corinthians 13 says so. 
with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I just wonder if we're, we're overlooking something powerful when we take the Lord's Supper so quickly. And so, oh, there, I got it. I hope I didn't drink out of somebody else's cup that's sick. Oh man, this is bigger. This is bigger. Paul's saying, I'm the worst of them all, but God is the best of them all. And he's displayed that to me. God's wanting to use me to give other people hope. He says, I'm a prime example. He said, I'm a great witness of what God can do. I mean, if you hear no, because you get it. You're a prime example of what God can do. And I would say to you simply, go out there and give people hope. Give them hope. Model Jesus. What's Paul say? Think of the next verse. What does it say there? We carry the death of Jesus. Look at this. This is 2 Corinthians 4. We carry the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the life of Jesus can also be seen in our bodies. There's a connection here of how I feel about the cross, what it means to me, and what I'm going to do, how I'm going to strategize and plan what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And Paul says, you know, I carry around Christ and that way in my body so that it will regulate and help me display Jesus in my body. And this requires devoting myself to accepting His love. Recognizing and accepting how deeply He loves me. There's a lot of things I don't do because I'm reminded that I have a wife that deeply loves me. I'm privately at the TV with my control. Privately at the keyboard of my computer. And I know I have a wife that loves me deeply. And it keeps me off those sites and those channels. The love of God. When Denise says, I don't think she's very nice to me. And I'm not motivated by her love. And I go to my computer. It's the love of God then that kicks in. And I'd realized, shouldn't the love of God just be always on? (laughs) Wouldn't that just help you and I be aware of what we're doing by ourselves or with our family or in public or uh, at the restaurant or at this party today? When I remember God's love, it's going to come out of my life. His love is going to come out of my life. Number four. To be a great witness, it happens when I devote myself to depend on God's power. They're devoted to prayer. This is very challenging. I mean, Gary and uh, Alan have been challenging me personally about prayer. We talk about how we need to be praying. And are we praying? I know Alan's small group is spending a significant amount of time praying together. And I'm, I'm really challenged by that. The idea that, why? Why is that so important? It must be important. It was something they gave themselves to. They gave themselves to do that. 
And I think the reason I need God's power in my life is because the job ahead of me is just way too big. That some of the things I'm going to run up against are way too powerful and way too big, and I need God's power to help me, and so I need to call upon that. Sometimes I have to pray. What do I say? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. A lot of times when I'm not praying about what to say and what to do, I end up saying and doing things I shouldn't do and shouldn't say. I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I'm just now starting to see that my prayer life reflects my relationship with God. And I'm a fanatic when it comes to short prayers. Help me put this transmission together, Lord. Which, by the way, has 500 miles on it, running great. Okay? But help me put this windshield in right. Help me, Denise is calling, help me to not be so rattled and overwhelmed and just listen and be kind to her and not short with her because, you know, when I pray that, I'm fine. When I don't pray that, what do you want? Is there some connection here? Is God's power able to help me do something that I naturally don't do well? To do better? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have a prayer ministry here. And I'd say if you want to volunteer for a prayer ministry, that'd be great. But can I say this? Aren't we all a prayer ministry anyway? I mean, shouldn't we all be part of that? Just period? Devoted to prayer. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. That's the second shortest verse in the Bible, only by letters. Jesus wept, beats it by about five letters. Pray continually. What does that mean? Pray continually. What's another way to say it? Pray all the time. All the time? Well, people think I'm nuts. You wear these silly earphones and talk on the phone and people think you're nuts. If you want to save face, put them in, act like you're on the phone. Oh, God, help me out. You know, I'm joking. Pray continually. You don't have to say it. Pray it silently. Pray all the time. What do I pray about? Well, everything. Everything. That's what, when you give yourself over to God, all this other stuff that you, your baggage you bring, you don't know how to handle. Talk to God about all of it. It says here in Philippians 4 as we close, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. And see the reference to witness as you live in Christ Jesus. Is that not what witnessing is? Living in Christ Jesus? He says, pray about everything then. And and by doing that, God will bring a peace over you in this crazy, crazy society, crazy world we're living in. It's topsy-turvy. I mean, who would have thought Donald Trump would be leading the polls? Come on, get a life. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian man. Really? Okay. It's a circus. It's a circus. Isn't it? 
And, but you don't have to turn on CNN or Fox or anybody. It's a circus at home sometimes. What is going on? You know, the clowns have come out. What is wrong with my family? Or you lose a job, or things get cut, or you, you get hurt, or you get sick. It's, 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 it's all this crazy stuff is happening to me. You need God's power. And how do you live in peace? He's saying this during the Roman Empire. He's saying this during the Roman Empire. They were killing Christians by the thousands. And he says, you pray talk to God about that, and you'll experience peace as you're going through this. As you live in Christ on this earth. What do you need to be devoted to today? What do you need to be devoted to today? Is it, I need to be more devoted to, to what Jesus teaches. I really don't know what he's saying. I've asked people before when they tell me a political view or they ask, a Christian will tell me a particular uh, opinion. We all got them. I always ask, well, where's Jesus in that? Is Jesus in there? What is, where does Jesus weigh in? Maybe you need to, that would help you bring clarity to a decision maybe you're about to make. Or how to help someone. Do you, do you need to give yourself to the Word of God this morning? Or maybe it's, you know what, Tim, I'm not as connected as I used to be. I've kind of contributed to the disconnection. Isolationism is a threat here. Independent Isolation, individualism, guys, is a big threat here. What are you going to do with it? I need to, I, I need to, how about just one step? I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to take a step and I'm going to get, take another step and maybe it's not that. I'm going to take a step in, in my small group and I'm going to open up a little bit. I'm not going to be so guarded. Well, it'll hurt, Tim, and you're having a ball now. Maybe you need to devote yourself there. Or maybe, maybe it's, a, I just need to devote myself you know, to the idea of just getting in tune with what God has done for me, what Jesus Christ is all about. I need to really get into that. I need to give myself to that more. Because I do take it to, I do, I, it's not, I, by the way, just because you take the Lord's Supper real slowly doesn't mean you're really thinking. Okay, I know that too. He's saying we're taking it too fast. So I'll slow down. It happens so quickly anyway. You know, no. It's, it's, I'm just saying, is it, is it crave to understand the love, the, how deep, how wide the love of Christ is? And, or maybe it's just, you know what, I need to give myself to prayer right now. I, need to be, I don't talk to God much about anything, Tim. I need to be talking to him more. Would he listen to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Call on his power. Let him help you with what to say and what to do so you can be a powerful witness. There's a communication card. You want to get those out. Maybe there's a prayer request or a decision you want to make today. Just run on that communication card this morning. Maybe the decision you're making or a prayer request. We take up those cards um, as we take up our contribution into this service, and those cards go to our prayer ministry, and they pray. They they divide them up and pray. They don't tell anybody what's going on. They just pray about what's on the card. And they talk to God about it. That's what that's what you want, and that's what they're going to do for you. We're going to sing a song, give you an opportunity to work on that card, 
and then we'll sing another song and collect up all those cards along with our contribution. May God bless you with a super day. Um, share it with somebody. You know, um, connect today, all right? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the book of Acts, Lord. It's, um, you know, I, 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 it's an incredible book that describes the way it is, the way it is in your church, the way it's supposed to be. And Lord, Father, we, we pray, oh God, that you'll help us be, to be dedicated, that we dedicate our, our, devote ourselves, Father, that it's about devoting ourselves. No one else can make this decision, Father, but I pray that all of us here will decide to devote ourselves to, to your word, to community here, that will, that will, that will devote ourselves, Father, to the cross, to what it means to us, Father. Give us clarity. Help us understand it even deeper. And Father, also we, we ask you help us devote ourselves to prayer on your power. And we call out to it. Give us power this week. We're, some of us here are going to need a lot of your power to, to live a godly life. And Father, we pray that you'll give us that power today. I pray, Father, you'll help someone here that's thinking about studying the Bible, thinking about becoming a Christian, that will have the courage to to take that step, open up their Bible with somebody, and begin that journey to being saved, to know you uh, intimately. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.